Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Middle Age Geeks, the podcast where we aim to discuss movies, video games, TV shows, comics, and anything else geeky that takes our fancy. My name is Phil, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Daz. Daz, how are you? I'm very good, man. Very good. Uh, looking forward to washing away the memory of Miss or the Marvels this week. So uh, looking forward to what we have coming up. Yeah, I, I would immediately echo that. Yeah, that was that was a tough watch. It, it's, in, it's interesting, though, you know, not a great movie at all. And the pre- previous movies were crap, but like at least, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's was good fun. But I've had, yeah. and, and in addition to Jay, who said it to you last week, I've had three people re- uh, message this week after the episode that came out around the Marvels saying how much they enjoy us doing the shitty movies. And I don't know if that's them being sadists, enjoying our pain, or what they, <laughs> they or what the reason is. But they were like, "Yeah, and I really enjoy, you know, the taking the piss of these movies." They're like, "Yeah, that's great. You're not the one that has to fucking watch them, you know." It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You don't get that um, time back. Yeah, it's it's but so I uh, as much as that, I know it is a bit fun to do, but I am looking forward to this week. So I suppose I should just lay out what it is we have coming this week. Um, so a little bit of a change in format. The the main topic, rather than being a movie review, is going to be kind of something like the state of Star Trek. So we're just going to talk about our love for Star Trek, where it come from, where it came, where our love came from, um, what our experience of Star Trek is, and also where you know what the current state is and the, f- the possible future of it. Uh, so that'll be a nice conversation. Daz will kind of lead us through that. And then for a retro corner, we are going to do a revisit of a movie. And this one is fucking awesome. This one is 1999's Galaxy Quest. Um, Woohoo. it's, yeah, it's, it's so fucking good. I, I am so excited to, uh, to have a chat, to have a chat about that. We would have watched it together back in the day as well. And obviously I've watched it many times over the years. So, you know, I, I, I could, we could probably talk about that for the guts of the episode, but, um, before we get into any of that main stuff, uh, have you been watching or playing anything cool this past week? Uh, yeah, in, in preparation for this, uh, episode's theme, I went back to play some, old retro star trek games uh first up was was star trek the next generation on the snes which i remember getting uh, on the day of release back in whatever it was 1994 95 and uh booted it back up and it is it holds up pretty well graphically uh you know 16-bit graphics are you know for a 30 year old game it's not too bad um you can absolutely play it uh, without hurting your eyes, which is a uh, which some old games can really, really um, the test of time is not um, is not good to them. But in the game, you can control every member of the crew going on away missions and using like ship sensors and making repairs. And you can like go through the memory banks and search the lore of Star Trek and planets and stuff. And it's, there's quite a lot of content in it. And you can uh, you can travel to distant planets. You can even choose what warp speed you want, which is fucking great. But if you try awesome. and go somewhere at warp point eight, the computer goes, that is not sufficient power to make make it to whatever fucking planet, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but it, like every now and then you do, you get, uh, you get ambushed by, you know, Klingons or something like that. Something comes up on screen and you have to enter these ship battles, which are fucking painful. Like it's just top down, you know, it's it's just it's horrendous horrendous controls it's just yeah so it's awful but um the character the character controls are pretty rough also i mean it's that's kind of par for the course for mid 90s uh um kind of movie tie-ins or tv tie-ins 
Um, and it's kind of top down, almost like isometric viewpoint. So it's it's like cannon fodder, one of these games where you're trying to line up the shot. You can't really shoot diagonally. You got you can only shoot and forwards, backwards, or left and right. Yeah, that that cannon fodder is far controls far better than this. But um, but hilariously, like I played it only for about two or three hours. But on one mission, I think I was playing as Wharf. And I accidentally killed one of the people you had to protect, and the game just fucking ends. You know what I mean? It's just like it comes up with a with a, a little end card that says Wharf has been um, court martialed, and that's that's the end of the game. And there's no continuous. Just like that's it. Like ah, oh okay, I broke the fucking game. But um, yeah, it, um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty good. It was nice going back to it, but it really brought up a point that, uh, about manuals that like back in the day. You know, you'd open your game cartridge or the box and you'd get a manual that was like the manual for a fucking car. You know, remember, it's just so thick. Yeah. And going back to like playing this um, on Steam Deck, I didn't have the manual and they don't have, there's nothing in game to tell you any controls whatsoever. They just start you, plonk you on the bridge. It's like, there you go. You have no idea. What's my fucking mission? How do I get a mission? So I'm just looking around the bridge for about 20 minutes until somebody hailed me and started a mission. But uh, yeah, it's a... it's good crack, good crack. And then following on, following on from that, uh, the natural successor to it was um, a sequel of sorts. It was Deep Space Nine, Crossroads of Time, which <laughs> which is, <laughs> I played this back in the day as well, but um, it's like a side-scrolling uh, shoot-em-up um, where you control one of the runabouts from Deep Space Nine. And it's reminiscent of games like uh, Gradius or R-Type or something like that. And it just controls like pants. It's, just, it's so bad. I played it for about four minutes and just died about seven times. So that was the end of that. And then my final, uh, to wash away the, uh, the taste of that game, I booted up uh, the glorious uh, VR game, um, Bridge Crew, Star Trek Bridge Crew, to try and play a mission in that. Uh, I was really back into that when it came out, playing it with random people online and the amount of crack you'd have is just like it's, it's like just astonishing um but this time uh there's something wrong with the headset and i couldn't connect to the, the internet so i just played it on my own so <laughs> i was both the captain and the ensign and the tactical officer and yeah that was that was a bit of crack it was nice to go back to that that game and we still have to do that and do a live stream or something oh, like 100%. that it's, yeah it's, like I, I you should have you so messaged me about I would have signed on for that now. I definitely, I definitely want yeah, to give yeah. that a go. Like, uh, it's 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 so much fun that you can have with like. I can only imagine how much fun it would be with three mates playing it because I've played it. Yeah, as I said, online with some just random st- strangers that you just pop into the game. You're like, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm Daz. I'm Mike, or whatever. And then you know, twenty minutes down the line, you're, you're all frantically trying to save your starship from crashing into a fucking moon or something. <laughs> It's like, I need power to shields. Where the fuck are the shields? <laughs> yeah, some of the best moments I've had in gaming have been with complete strangers in VR. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. But that's, uh, yeah, I didn't get to watch anything because I was just trying to uh, trying to get through that that SNES game mainly. How about yourself? Uh, I haven't, because we, there, I suppose there for the people at home, there was there, there was a massive, there was, there was quite a, a tight turnaround really between uh recording this one and the last one because of the marvels so i haven't got a whole lot of gaming in i did download um alan wake 3 so i'm or me two uh so i'm looking forward to getting stuck into that i did there was a bit of gaming news that i thought was cool or not gaming news but more a review of super mario rpg uh the remake like i never played super mario rpg back when it came out like the mid 90s it just it wasn't something really yeah, i was into 
you know, but I, it, it does look the business. I don't know if it'd be your cup of tea with regards to, I know you're not a massive fan of turn-based combat. And I, yeah. I, know, I think it, it's super quick in this game from what I can see. Like it matches over as quick as it began, but I just don't know. I know that's not really your thing. I, I do love that. I just, yeah. from, from what I can see from like the reviews and looking through the game, it's almost like RPG light. You know what I mean? Like it's the battles over really quickly. Your inventory is nowhere near as complicated as you would see in, in, your, in your bigger RPG games. Your, yeah. your customization is very minimal. Like it's almost, I, I would look at it more almost like an introduction to RPG. It looks like, you know, so if you've got someone who is a lot younger, who maybe can't go straight into a Skyrim or something like that, this is a good entry level for them. Um, I might have a mm. go of it just because of the story from what I hear over the years about it was that it was so fucking mental, you know, and the, the storyline is crazy. I wouldn't mind giving it a go. But one thing that's jumped out from the reviews is that it's it's laggy. You know, it's it's quite laggy. Yeah. And for a game like that, that isn't, it shouldn't be that graphically demanding. You know, it's not as if there's loads of shit happening at once. Like you're mostly just wandering around in the world. Yeah, you get into battles. To hear that this is laggy or slowing down in parts, it just, I think it's just really... It's just another example of why Nintendo need to get a new fucking console brought out. Like we're closing in on seven years with the Switch now. That's crazy. Like, yeah, twenty seventeen. That's yeah, that's bananas. So we're, yeah, we're ne- we're nearly seven years, and there's no there's no sign of a new one. You know, there's no concrete news of okay, mm. we know you have seven years, but you only have you know fucking one more. Like it's seven years in March. There's no okay, you've mm. got seven years, but in, in in nine months' time, we'll have a new one. There's no solid definition anything about a release coming up just yeah there's always just there's always a rumor every year about something with you know some insider will say oh no there's a 4k version coming and it's a 4k version never arises they just bring out a new one with an oled screen and it's that was it that was the only thing like yeah and like nintendo we like we always say with nintendo they never do what will guarantee make them a shit ton of money they make a lot of money anyway but every time we're saying why don't you go back and re-release this game because people are fucking crying out for it and you actually can't get it anymore? They don't do it, or they do it with the the Super Mario trilogy with Galaxy and Super Mario sixty four, and, and they bring it out for a timed window for seven months. <laughs> like what? Are you, what are you doing? <laughs> people are dying to play these old games again, and the same way with the new console. It's like the Switch still sells by the bucket load, but if they brought a new one out, they've garnered so much of a massive fan base anyway, but they have so many new fans and new people that are coming along for the ride. So just get on it. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's so far behind, you know, it's so far, it's great for Zelda and it's great for first party stuff. But when you see that, like the Mortal Kombat one stuff, you know, these third party games on it are just trash and it's, it's embarrassing now. It's really falling behind, but it's Nintendo. They won't fucking do it. And like you said, it's the simple, simple things as well. Things like uh, chat, you know, the fact that you can't fucking voice chat. Like if I'm playing against mm. Mario Kart from some lad in fucking whatever in Asia, somewhere like that, I, like, I want to hear him telling me how shit I am in a language yeah. I can't understand, you know, but like I do want to be able to have the <laughs> chat or even just even just like this is um, a made from work who who uh, who bought the Switch now, of course, he bought it mainly for his kid, but he loves playing Mario Kart. And I was like, it'd be a bit of crack for the two of us on, like, on some evening if I could go on. So could he, and we could have a yap through headphones, you know, on this proper switch dedicated chat thing. Yeah. Like, it's not asking for much to have that, but instead they're like, oh, it's well, not you can rocket science. You like... can, yeah. It's like, oh, you can do it through an app if you want on your phone, which isn't connected <laughs> to the console. They would like, come so on. 
Just like, call him. It's, just call your mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll just use fucking WhatsApp because it's going to be clearer and, you know, whatever fucking app you're on. You're it's just, for me, it's just a load of bollocks. You should be able to go in and, and contact people that way and have proper interaction. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's, the fact that they've still got nothing coming for them, they, I, I suppose they just see that this they're still, they're still making enough money from what they're putting out at the moment that maybe they just, mm-hmm. well, why, you know, they're kind of, why would we? Like we talked about point? GTA last week, you know, GTA have taken 10 years to even announce a new game and because even after 10 years you're still raking in the money it's probably like well why the fuck would we we need yeah, to do it we're making so 10 grand money, so. a second <laughs> yeah so but uh, apart from that i i uh, haven't done a whole lot extra but what i did see and i wouldn't mind talking about just for a minute before we get into the main stuff is there was a trailer for madam web that came out today so oh, madam wow. web is kind of same you know same universe uh, was in the name i suppose same universe as spider-man so it's a sony a sony marvel movie um so like, whereas we've only got one MCU movie next year, which is uh, Deadpool, there is three of these Sony, like basically all Sony Spider-Man movies. There's, um, there's this one, there's Venom 3, and there's Craven. Now, to be honest, I'm not really expecting anything from any of them because the Red Band trailer <laughs> for Craven, it looks fucking shite. Venom 1 and 2, first one was okay. It wasn't bad. It was a bit of fun. Second one was terrible. So I'm not really holding out much hope for that. Uh, but Madam Web could be cool. The only thing is you're one who's directing... S.J. Clarkson is her name. I think she's only done one feature-length movie. So she, she's got a lot of directorial credits under her name. Mm. Um, most of them are around TV shows. And some big TV shows like um, uh, Succession, Dexter, uh, what else? She's done Jessica Jones. Now, there's a bunch of, okay. and a bunch, like, uh, Whitechapel. Like, I think there's, like, there's some, like, English ones, American ones. Like, she's got a good, a good repertoire there of stuff that she's done. A good... Uh, backlog of different shows she's directed. The issue is that it's great as someone can be directing at these shows. You you can't tell what kind of stamp someone's going to put on a show based on mm. the TV shows they directed. You know I mean, you can have an episode of CSI directed by fucking Wes Anderson, but I'm not going to see much Wes Anderson in that thing. You know, you're not going to see his style. So I don't know. It's directing by numbers a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what her what S.J. Clarkson style so much is going to be because I've owned, there is only one feature-length movie out. But like, it could be cool. Cast is kind of cool. It's Dakota Johnson, um, Sydney Sweeney, uh, a, couple, a bunch of people I don't really know are in it. Uh, Sydney Sweeney, if you know her, she's um, she's in that Euphoria. She was in The Handmaid's Tale. Um, what else has she been in? She was in, there's a small role in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Seems to be kind of, quite an up-and-comer at the moment yeah. and so they all they all kind the idea i think is that it's based around this madam web who in the comics was like this she started off as like this older blind psychic clairvoyant woman who kind of helps out spider-man okay. in this in this obviously they've changed it around because she's it's dakota johnson plays her she's like a paramedic and something happens and she suddenly starts having these precognition kind of powers it's so like it's set in the early 2000s and going by the trailer and the other other previous teasers, it looks kind of like Terminator meets Edge of Tomorrow. So people are coming back to kill okay. off the Spider Women and to kill off um, Spider Man's mum, mum. So he's never born, kind of thing. But the Edge, but the Edge of Tomorrow's yeah. thing is that Dakota Johnson keeps getting to go. She's seeing stuff and gets to go and do it again. And um, so the two of them, that sounds okay. like a pretty cool premise. That does and then good. the guy. Yeah, and I think the guy who's coming through time to kind of kill the Spider Women and Spider Man's mum is um, a character called Ezekiel Sims, who is a guy who has like Spider Man powers. He's a version of a Spider Man, hmm. um, and so he's coming through back through time. So he has this cool looking Spider Man outfit on in the trailer. You see Sydney Sweeney as 
uh, Spider Woman in the trailer as well, only very briefly mm. in the outfit, which looks it looks pretty pretty spot on from one of the um, Spider Woman yokes. Only you kind of see her eyes rather than them being those total white white out kind of eyes that you see in a Spider Man outfit, yeah. you know. Um, but no, it looks pretty cool. I'm I'm kind of hoping with you know it's a bunch of Spider People with Spider Women with Spider Powers fighting a bad Spider Man guy. I mean it's it's got it's got a lot it, it's got a lot of promise. I think in that way. It's just that what mm. we've seen from Sony's Marvel stuff hasn't been great, bar the recent stuff with, with Tom Holland has been. I mean, I've enjoyed all, you know, his trilogy, the Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy has been really good. Yeah. But I don't, you know, we've, we've the Spider-Man movies before that were more missed than they were hit. I I loved Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I also loved Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. Mm. But there was a lot, there was a lot of improvement that needed to be made and... And as I said, I'm not it was really good movie, bad movie, for... good movie, bad movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not holding out a lot of hope for for Craven. Like they've gone for the or rating. Red Band trailer is fairly, you know, it's fairly uh, gruesome and all the rest of it, fairly gory. But just the trailer, I was looking at it, going, "This is wank." Like I read, I think you're kind of just trying to sell it <laughs> on the violence, but it just doesn't look great. Yeah. But yeah, apart from that, not really a whole lot going on. Um. So I suppose with a. Uh, with all that out of the way, we'll go and get stuck into uh, one of our main sections, which is our Star Trek section. So, Daz, whenever you're ready, why don't you take us through that? Super, yeah. So, as we mentioned earlier on, following on from the shit show that was the Marvels, it's good to uh, lighten the tone. And two of us are uh, avid Star Trek fans, but we were only talking earlier about the fact that we've known each other for you know almost 20 25 years and it wasn't until years and years of knowing each other like we bonded over obviously geek culture and video games and movies tv shows music and what have you anything but it wasn't i can't pinpoint the moment but it wasn't until years and years where maybe i said something about star trek and i think you said hold on you you like Star Trek too? It's just like, oh fucking hell, this gets better, man. And then that was a whole other avenue we went down. I, yeah, that was uh, fantastic. So we thought to um, to go through the section, we might just touch on our our personal history of Star Trek and how we got into it, our first memories maybe of it, and then we might go through some of the shows, um, the golden era, what made Star Trek good, um, touch on the movies. And the J.J. Abrams era and then the Kurtzman era with the new TV shows. And just kind of basically go through the emotional roller coaster that Star Trek has been from great to utter shite and seems to maybe be coming back again now. So firstly, I'll, uh, I'll touch on my introduction to Star Trek, like many, many others, was the 1990 um, pilot encounter at Firepoint. And I remember there was even, you know... A, no internet back then but there were murmurs murmings on in magazines and stuff that this show that was doing really well over in america because it was launched like maybe over two years i think it was late 1987 and yeah it was 1988 in in america yeah 87 and uh this show was coming to sky or whatever the tv channel was so i tuned in for encountered firepoint and like many others um but i remember that me and my friend Jill at the time, who lived across the road from each other, straight away the next day, we just couldn't stop talking about it. You know, everyone else had seen it, but they were like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But we fucking loved it. Like it just tapped into something 
crazy you know the sets the characters the visual effects um just just seeing the opening scene with the with the enterprise um it just blew my mind and kind of changed my world in terms of you know geek culture and all that kind of stuff that uh opened a new world to me and i think myself and jill uh got really into the models and straight away like i'd go to my friend's house and they'd have you know star wars figures and gi joe and ninja turtles and all that but myself and jill would be the ones playing in the corner with our star trek models and i had literally literally every single model i pity my mother who had to shell out like ridiculous amounts of cash like i had the the ships i had the you know the bridge transporter room just fucking everything and you know they they know a cash cow when they see one um and they'd have you know you could get picard but then you could get picard in his military dress outfit or <laughs> four or five different variations and i had to have every single one so it's like mom please but um yeah that show just uh yeah there, there was no going back from that how about yourself how'd you get how did you get into it all yeah like it was it was a mixture of when, when i was young watching the original series you know reruns were on yeah. telly so it would have been that but then like yeah me getting completely stuck into it was was definitely next generation. Like I think even though the original series was on telly, I was very aware mm. that this was even at that young age, that this was from, you know, a time before, you know, it, yeah, yeah. whereas this was just new and fresh. And I suppose for anybody younger who's listening probably can't fathom the fact that something came out. We had to literally wait years. There was no other way to get it, that it came out in the States in 87 yeah. and we didn't get it for a couple of years later, but that's just the way it was. But, you know, I, I didn't really have so many of the Star Trek figures um it wasn't I, I i loved the the models like i had the the airfix style models as well so like yeah. I, I was i was buying them and painting them i had this sweet uh bird of prey the wings moved up and down and everything it was so fucking cool i'd love to know where that is now yeah yeah um and yeah i think even for in school like in one of our projects we had to build like a bust of something you know like an art class uh, and yeah. I did a Klingon, I did a Klingon. I remember making it out of clay, making the head and everything out of it. Like, a, and so there was me, me and a few of my, my pals from school. Like, I guess we were never very much served a line. It was never like a, uh, I, suppose, I suppose it was just, yeah, just a geek, but kind of just a, a messer as well. Kind of just a middle of the road kind of person. Um, but we all were similar in that kind of, but we all had this love for Star Trek. And so as each of the shows came out, like whether it was Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, we'd all be in school then. Did you fucking see it? You know, it was all like yourself and Jill. It was like that. We'd have this group and um, our, yeah. our, I suppose our mutual friend Keith was like that as well. He, he was a huge fan of it as well. He was, he was joined the Star Trek club and everything. I think he was Ensign, Ensign Keith or whatever. Like we, he'd come in, have massive chats about it. Just as it's, it was, it was so exciting to have something like that each week. And like, it looks so hammy to look back on then, but like, Mm. now looking you know back then sorry looking at the oh just the models the the, the new aliens that they kind of stepped up like as original series i would have seen klingons romulans but basically all they did was give them different fucking hairstyles you know what i mean klingons didn't have that cool looking fucking ridgy forehead thing so they to see all these different aliens and the makeup was out of this world you know for the, the makeup department went were above and beyond you know to, to to what else we were seeing on television at the time to be getting stuff like Worf and Ferengi and all these stuff every week you're seeing this new aliens and they put mm. so much effort into like my hat goes off to the FX department back then what for what they were what they were working with and what they were able to produce 
it was um, hmm. yeah, it was so exciting to get to get to to uh, to first experience the next generation that way. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. That's interesting that you um that you saw the uh, the original series beforehand, because when I kind of dropped into it in in 1990, and very quickly you were aware, you know, that this, as you're saying, that there was something before this. This this is the the re- almost the the reimagining of of something that came before it, like Battlestar Galactica, when we saw that, and you know, the call it makes you want to go back and watch the original from what the whole thing derived from. So I did go back and watch. I st- I don't think I've seen um, every original series episode, but I've seen you know a good few. But but going from Next Generation back to that, it just yeah, it didn't seem. It was nice to touch back in those episodes, but it, um, yeah, I, I just, my introduction was something that was um, more fresh to me or more um, modern or whatever, you know. So then, like obviously, that was that was such a fantastic introduction, but. For me, I guess Deep Space Nine still, still to this day, it's it's one of the greatest sci-fi shows I think I've ever seen comfortably. Um, and I think that show for me was was always overshadowed overshadowed by the Next Generation because the Next Generation kind of did it first to you know bring Star Trek back into the nineties after being away for so many decades. But um, yeah, Deep Space Nine just it had like darker themes, you know complex mythology to some of the characters the uh like we were talking before the the multi multi episode story arcs where the next generation was more standalone stories and there's more complex characters yeah. i think some of that came from the fact that you know each episode on the next generation the enterprise could be fucking anywhere encountering any new people you've got a whole new set of people yeah. to fuck with new planets or whatever the fuck they want to get up to because this was self-contained on a space station they had to get more yeah. into making it the story of the lives of the people on this station. Okay, yeah, the Enterprise mm. had the lives of the people on the space station, but or in the sp- spaceship. But also, you you had these different things they could take. You could literally do anything with the next episode. Oh, we're on a planet now where you know everybody yeah. just fucks up, fucks all day. Or we're on a planet where everybody sings all day. Or we're on a planet that's solely everybody's fish people or whatever you want to do. With it. you can do anything you want. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> you, whereas you had to come up with with the thing. It was pretty much all contained on the station and they went in a few away missions, but for the most part you're on the space station. And so it's, mm. that's where you kind of got these, as you said, multi-arc things, real crime, you know, based episodes, you know, and, and there was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think, I think I like you, I loved Star Trek, but if I was to go back and rewatch a series from start to finish, mm. I would, if I had to pick out of all of them, it, it would probably be deep space nine as well. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. Where like, because it was a center for, um, for trade and commerce um the space station even though it was abandoned and derelict almost when it when the show begins because that's the focal point that obviously in in next generation you're going off to you know explore new worlds but in deep space nine it's like the universe was coming to them you just plunk everyone here and then everything changes outside and around them um but like most tv well most golden era of trek i think the first you know even in the next generation wasn't until you know the best of both worlds the season three kind of finale where it really like cemented itself as you know holy fuck this is this is stellar tv you know and the same with deep space nine when i think it was series three or series four when the defiant was introduced and then the wharf arrived in series four and then dominion war and it just there was some like seven eight um 
episode story arcs or some season season long story threads that it was just it was it wasn't as accessible as the next generation because if you dropped in you know season five episode six they're talking about shit that happened two episodes ago and you just you can you can definitely kind of bounce off a little more you have to it was rewarding to true fans but i don't think it got the ratings that it deserved at the time but i still think for me um like i love all the characters in d space nine but like gold cat is i think one of the probably one of the best tv characters um of all time in my mind and this is you know i'm talking 30 years ago or 25 30 years ago like he's an incredibly complex character who like he's both like a recurring villain and a reluctant kind of ally at times but he was uh it's the delusion in this man and the and the performance where he completely believes that like he's a hero to the Bajoran people completely during the occupation and not a complete fucking tyrant, which is what he is. But he um he believed like he was the the hero in his own story. He was just utterly compelling to watch in the scene when his daughter dies in one of those episodes and when he breaks down and it's just fucking searing television. Like fantastic. But um we could go on and on about Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I think it's we're about massive, massive fans of that. Yeah, it, it's 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 gas as well. I think that because one of my favorite characters as well was a uh, was a Cardassian as well. I love Garrick. I love the oh yeah relationship. Yeah, yeah the relationship between Taylor. him and Bashir was so good. But yeah. he was this tailor with this obviously you know with a very sinister background, and you know, and it, you it, it comes out as the show goes on, more and more comes out, and I, I loved his relationship with with Dr. Rashir. And again, it's another complex character. They really build complex characters in that show. Um, like the, the, the stuff around the Bajorans and the Kardashians and, you know, the racism and it, it, the, mm. as you said, the occupation and everything, there's so many parallels with our own world. And it was just, mm. there was so much to it. And then, but no, mm. it was, it was, a, it was, it was an incredible show. The Defiant for me is still my favorite spaceship to all of the Star Treks that came out. Find is the most so badass bad. looking fucking armor cloak and device fucking quantum torpedoes it was fucking it's when they awesome. finally went hold on let's make a fucking battleship and you're just like yeah. oh, okay yeah now, now we mean now we mean fucking business like there's that shot in jesus i think it might be like finale of season six or something where where the uh they must have saved the entire budget of the season for that one shot where it's cisco and they're all on the defiant and they're getting ready for battle or whatever, and you see them just turning around. The camera follows around behind the Defiant, and as they turn around, it just unveils an armada of fucking this, the, the entire Starfleet armada getting ready for battle. And it, I think that was, yeah, that was must have been the finale, and you had to wait like five months. But it was just you screaming at the TV, just like, let's fucking go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, oh, when when they went all out, like they went all out, like the fight, I think so it was, good, was it a like, good... Was it a good day to die? I think it was the one where the the Klingons attacked the station, and they've been getting ready for. Oh yeah, yeah. The, they've been getting ready for the Dominion invasion, so the station is kitted out with like fucking laser mm. banks and photon torpedoes, and it's this battle of like yeah. the original, the, the Star Trek, the original series, um, Klingon fighters, Bird of Prey, the Katanga class, all these things, and then the new big huge fucking ship, and there's just fucking torpedoes, phasers firing everywhere and it's fucking awesome the Kling- there's hand-to-hand fights with klingons and the yeah the yeah fucking the, the 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 station officers fucking wharf and kira are kicking ass with backlets and shit man 
It is rad. Like, so, so cool. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Uh, definitely a soft spot for um, Deep Space Nine. Um, following on from that, I mean, before we get to Voyager, we just touch on Generations when it came out. The first uh, Star Trek Next Generation movie. And I remember, I still remember like getting ready to go into the cinema and watch that movie and the excitement, like I can still tap into that um, because the show had, hadn't, had only just ended. And even for the, for the actors, like I think they finished shooting um, all good things, the finale and had like a week off and it was just straight into generations. And they made the choice to, to stick with, um, stick with the, the, the showrunner for next generation and the writers and the director of it was, can't remember his name, but he had done um, a lot of Deep Space Nine, a lot of um, Next Generation episodes. So that's why it kind of feels straight away like another episode, which uh, is, you know, sometimes to its detriment. And it's definitely a, a polarizing movie. Do you remember? Do you remember seeing that back in the day? Yeah. And I, and I wasn't a fan, you know, even then, like, I think we discussed this before, you know, when you're younger, every movie is great because it's a fucking movie. You know, you go to the cinema, there's very few things when you're that mm. young, which is like, oh, this is wanker. Or, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't be as constructive with my feedback as I could now. Um, as yeah. I just call something wank, <laughs> but you know, it's, <laughs> but, but, but like back then it, for me, I, I really, I wasn't a massive fan of it. I, I think I was expecting something more and I did enjoy, I was like, Oh, it's going to be cool. We're going to see Kirk. We're going to see the old cast. But for the most part, it was, it was just Kirk. Like at the very start when they're on, is it the Excelsior or no, sorry, it's not the Excelsior yeah. class. It's Enterprise B and yeah. Alan Rook is there and the cast. And there's a little, mm. there's a, there's a bit of, a bit of, um, comic relief from Scotty and stuff. Cause you know, Kirk keeps sitting up and yeah. backing down on his chair and he's like, is there something yeah, yeah, yeah. chair? Um, and there's a bit of comic relief and stuff, but we don't get, I was hoping we'd get to see more, maybe see more interaction between that crew and the other crew, but it was just really Shatner and Picard, you know, um, Shatner. Mm. And Actually Patrick in Stewart. that opening, uh, like I read the book of generations before I saw the movie and there's, there's an entire sequence in the book where, Shatner and and the three of them and it's it's supposed to be Shatner um uh McCoy and Leonard Nimoy but um Leonard Nimoy thought the, the role was too small so said fuck that <laughs> yeah. but uh McCoy uh DeForest Kelly's health was deteriorating rapidly so it was changed to Scotty and Chekhov and if you if you watch it again I watched the clip there uh, yesterday they don't even they didn't even bother um rewriting that scene where Chekhov is asking people like, where's the doctor? Have you got a medical bay? And he's delivering all McCoy's lines. And it's just like, you're, you're not a fucking doctor. <laughs> fucking yeah, pilot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite hilarious. But there's, there's a sequence where uh, I think Shatner and the two of them like dive down to a planet. Like it's almost like a skydive in space down into a planet, into a mining kind of facility in the planet. And I was straight away going, oh, I can't fucking wait to see. You know, it's just... Back then, you could really tell it was something that was written um, for the page, where producers are probably reading it, going, "There's no fucking, there's no way we can do that, like, or do it justice." So when that wasn't in it, yeah, straight away that that uh, had me a little on edge. I was a little bit worried about where it was going, just even from that pre-credit sequence, you know. But you're right, Shatner. He just like it. it I thought from the trailer it was going to work as a uh, Kirk and Picard, you know seeing the two captains and seeing them work together as a, as a duo. And it didn't really, 
work out that way it was kind of Shatner's movie, you know, and Picard comes off as kind of the, I don't know, the kind of wimpy science guy, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's a pity, like, I think, because I know, we, we, you know, we're going to, as we're flying through this now, we're not really talking too much about the original series, which obviously is fantastic. But my, mine and yours most experience of Star Trek is from the years from Next Generation on. But with regards to movies, despite we had that golden age of Star Trek Next Generation, of um, Voyager and of Deep Space Nine, I still think the original series has the best movies, you know, out of out of that series. Now, look, we can talk about the Abrams stuff afterwards, but, you know, I would say Four Wrath of Khan. Yeah. yeah, Wrath of Khan is better than any Star Trek movie that came out afterwards. And you've talking about hmm. now you've got three shows going almost, you know, around roughly around the same time, the one's finishing, one's starting. You could have done so much with those, written, gotten actors from all three things and done something amazing movies out of that. They didn't take advantage of that at all. Like, First Contact was cool. You've got the, I mean, anything with the Borg and it's fucking cool. Um, but like, yeah. Insur- Insurrection was pretty much, eh, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really like any of the... That, the was, that was the most movies. like a TV show that I'd ever seen. I remember that was like a colossal disappointment. It's just, and I think because Jonathan Frakes was... Uh, he, I think he did a commentary on that on the DVD where he's actually apologizing for the movie on the commentary. He's just saying like, we well, just didn't have the budgets. So we couldn't do it, but it was, it was because after first contact, which had done so well, uh, I think first contact was like 45, it cost 45 million and made like 120, 140 or something, which back then was like, fuck yeah, that's, there wasn't as much money put into marketing and stuff back then. But because of first contact, when the cast came back, all their uh, fees went up. So budget for insurrection, I think, is around 70 million or something like that. But you can't see it on, it's like one and a half times the budget of First Contact. And you'd swear it's a fifth of First Contact because they just spent a lot of the budget on the cast and then had fuck all left to do anything. There's no action. There's hardly any action scenes in insurrection. It's, yeah, it was, uh, it was silly. Like it's okay, but you come out going, is that, is, is that a movie? You know, is that, the big screen, you know, the ninth movie in the franchise, you know, that, um, and then obviously following on from that, well, be, well, actually we touched on the original series where that whole thing of the even movies were the good ones, you know, obviously two Wrath of Khan, which is the, like the best one. And then Voyage Home and Undiscovered Country four and six, then Generation was kind of, kind of pants. First Contact's great. Then Insurrection, you're going, okay, wait for number 10. And then Nemesis comes along and just killed it all. Just killed the entire franchise for quite some time. It's just a colossal fucking, oh my God. Like I I was even going to try and, well, I wasn't going to watch it back, but I was even just going to do a recap on it because I just know Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy and, you know, Data dying and some of the main points in it. But I think I've only seen it once and I don't want to remember it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah I, I as i said I, i'm not a fan of the movies of the the next generation era uh like I, mm. I would love to see something a movie of some kind from maybe the voyager crew after they get home do something cool with that like as when voyager yeah they ends, missed a trick there with that stuff yeah like voyager ends they get back but it's pretty much it's unceremonious that they get back and they they obviously get through the the slip the slip warp slipstream thing and they you know there's fucking there's all uh, Starfleet ready to blow them up and then you realize oh shit it's Voyager you know welcome home like, and then it's it. kind of that it's like that's it we're done move on I would like to see them back yeah bring them back what happened to them show some of them gone out on some cool missions I mean obviously we got to see mm. 7 and 9 again in, in Picard but 
I would like to see what happened to the rest of them. There were some really cool characters there. Um, like some of them have appeared in the later TV shows, as we'll touch on. You know, Janeway's a hologram. Paris appears in in Lower yeah. Decks, but I would have liked to have seen a movie from Voyager because I a lot of fucking shitty episodes of Voyager, but also some really cool stuff like the Species A four seven two were awesome. The Herogen were awesome. Yeah. Um, again, another Tony Todd. Actually, he played a really cool. Uh, uh, one episode he played a Herogen, he's fucking massive, like really, mm. really good. Yeah, but yeah. I would have liked to have seen a movie about that. There's, I think they wasted, they wasted it. And when they brought it Insurrection, as you said, there was no chance of anybody getting a, a movie from that era. There was no after chance that, yeah. after that, you know. Yeah, because ne- Nemesis was one, one last throw of the dice with the Next Generation crew because it, it was a piss poor box office. You know, everyone was crying out for Deep Space Nine. It's just, you know, you're like, Next Generation crew, they kind of had to share it with Shatner in the first movie. They got their own movie that was fucking pretty decent in First Contact. And then um, I was just crying out for a Deep Space Nine movie or just just something just, uh, yeah, and that was never going to happen. And same with Voyager. But um, yeah, yeah, I loved Voyager. Like that reminded me of um, when you could buy the episodes um, on like with the, with the Next Generation, you used to record every episode on VHS and then Deep Space Nine started buying some VHS for it. But with Voyager, I started from the start and just bought the entire series. So I had the entire series that then, as I talked about before with you, when I went traveling, I sold all of them for about 10 euros in some shop rather than just storing them somewhere. Fuck's sake. But um, yeah, Voyager. Yeah, Voyager was great. But then there was, yeah, Nemesis just shat the bed with Star Trek for, for quite some time until J.J. Abrahams, the Star Wars fan who never watched Star Trek, making a Star Trek movie. Um, what baffled me, actually, uh, looking back on this, is some of the interviews where he, he's just actually admitting that he never watched Star Trek. He doesn't, he doesn't, really, uh, doesn't really get it. Um, he, that he was making, he wasn't making these new movies for Star Trek fans, he was making them for movie fans and that was a sign of kind of where it was going to go and um, like i enjoyed 2000s 2009's star trek um i think it actually has one of the greatest trailers i've ever seen i remember watching it in the cinema and straight away went back and just had to find out what what the music that was on it and um it was one of those few movies back around that time where the mu- the the music for the trailer is composed specifically for the trailer I don't think it was ever used again. It's just called Star Trek movie trailer or whatever. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that trailer, 2009 Star Trek trailer one, it's absolutely magnificent. But anyway, for me, everything from 2009 on up until uh, 2020, maybe up until season three of um, Discovery was pretty much a shit show, bar a, bar a little bit of... Um, discovery i suppose i i'd be i suppose i'd be a little bit a little bit different in that i i really enjoyed both the 2009 one and um the benedict cumberbatch movie i really enjoyed both of those um it Mm. was the darkness one is into the darkness or what is it called that one the into darkness Yeah, that one was shite but i but i i enjoyed the other two even though the benedict cumberbatch one i liked the whole 
tie-in of Khan. And... Oh no, like uh, Into Darkness is the second. Oh, one. sorry. Then what's the one? Yeah, that's that's. What's the one with yeah. with um? It started Beyond was the third. That's one. the one that was shot. Yeah, sorry. With with Sophia Butea mm. and when they they put, when they yeah. they put in that bit with um. Beastie Boys sabotage, you know, they start calling it classic music, oh, yeah, classical yeah, yeah. music or something. And now that yeah. was shite. What do you yeah, think, no, but I, I, I enjoyed the one with Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, but I, I loved Star Trek, the 2009 one because of 2009 was, was really good. Yeah. And I think because we cause, as we said, you know, insurrection was what we were kind of left with that. And I think as well, the cast is fucking outrageous. Like I, I watch, I think Chris Pine is incredible. Yeah. I watch him in anything. Um, you've got fucking Zoe Zaldana, um, Carol Urban, Bruce Greenwood, John Cho. Like it's fucking, it's excellent cast. Um, and Simon Pegg, yeah. you know, it's it's so so watchable. Um, because they're all on it, you know, they're all putting in great performances as well. Mm. But yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, they just got it so wrong with the uh, with the third one of those. You know, it just. Why didn't you let Quentin Tarantino make his one? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing where, um, yeah, the third one just it it stinks of uh, severely cut budget, um, and they were milking everything they could out of that script and that cast. And I think the first two movies, like the modern Star Trek movies, like they just don't make any money. It's well known they uh, they're barely breaking even. Um, I think the first one barely made a little bit of money. Second one barely broke even, and the third one I think lost money. So that was kind of uh, that was uh, the writing was on the wall. Um, even though yeah, I like I liked the second one a little bit, but it's just towards the end where he just screams Khan for no reason. It's a reference. Yeah, he's, he's saying that to the audience and not the characters in the story, and just like what the fuck. That just yeah, I rolled my eyes so much at that moment, but um. That brings us on then to the uh, Alex Kurtman era, who I think is an absolute gobshite. Um, I haven't seen Strange New Worlds, but this guy is responsible for taking Discovery into a promising new avenue for Star Trek. I mean, you're watching it and you're kind of going, "It's, uh, it's they're, they're they're on a starship and they're wearing um, uniforms, but it's not really star trek it's start it's kind of going down a different path like the 2009 movie but you're going along you're going on going along on the journey and see where it goes but he um yeah he was responsible for discovery and picard which yeah i uh, i don't know how to uh even get into that but <laughs> but the first episode uh, the first season of um of discovery yeah as we were saying before it was it was quite good. Like the cast was very good. Um, the it looked absolutely fantastic. Um, and the story, it, the story didn't seem to know where it was going. But when it was starting to touch on the mirror universe, and that was really, um, that was definitely exciting. But you, you were, I think, more of a fan. Yeah. Well. Well. Me, like. I, I yeah. Well. Like I again. I you know the leading in from after those movies, I was dying out for some more Star Trek. I think for me, I think. When you mention about it not making a lot of money, I always think of the two powerhouses really of sci-fi are kind of Star Trek and Star Wars. That's what I think of. Anybody always asks, are you one, yeah. are you one or the other? Or are you both or whatever? But Star Wars appeals yeah. to people of all ages. Whereas, you, you know, you see families bringing their kids to see Star Wars movies, just Star Wars Lego, the Star Wars mm. Lego video games and toys and figures. No one is bringing 
their young kids to go and see the latest Star Trek movie. Kids aren't really, the younger, younger people aren't really into Star Trek as being this cool young people's thing. I wonder if maybe that's what Prodigy is aimed towards younger people to try and get them involved, but it's not really a younger person's thing. And that's what kind of stands out for me when I think about why it's not making as much money as it could, because even the shittest uh, Star Wars movie will make a ton of money. Um, But like, I really enjoyed the first season and the second season actually of, of discovery again, Mm. I think that Sneaker Martin Green does a great job of um, of being the main role, and I think she's wonderful. Yeah. I enjoyed her in The Walking Dead; thought she was great in this, and the cast in general is great. Uh, Tilly gets really annoying, but I liked her comic relief in the first season. Really enjoyed the first two, but where it goes after that, like in season three, so it's just fucking like the, the going into the, the the time warp into the future and all the rest of it, just to kind of have to explain why this ship. Well, because this ship was well, this ship that was so incredibly technologically advanced, the ship that could you know jump from one part of the fucking universe to another and stuff. There was nothing like that mentioned in any other Star Treks. So you have to explain why this ship with this unbelievable technology isn't around. Why haven't other ships got it? You know, it just they had to do something with it. I get that that was their best idea. Let's put them in the future because then if they do that, we can just do whatever the fuck we want. We don't have to tie it in with any more. Star yeah. Trek, we can just do whatever the fuck we want with it. Like maybe that was the. But that's that's what I always thought when at the beginning of that season, where it was just a feeling that you're two seasons into your new show and your new version of Star Trek, and and you're checking out in terms of canon and lore. You're just going, all right, fuck this. I think um, audience figures are dropping, so let's just uh, fuck it. We're going a thousand years in the future, and it's like for for fuck's sake. It's like they had just had no plan. They were just winging it season to season. Like that, that just, yeah. Season three was a massive part of me bouncing off uh, Star Trek TV. Yeah, it was a bummer. And and, and as you said, like the, you also did Picard. And like, while I think there's some half decent performances in season one, it's kind of cool. You've got that kind of intrigue of what's going on, what's not going on. Season two is an absolute abomination. Like it's fucking terrible. And 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 I suppose you know maybe you want to t- t- talk if you want to lead us into what happened in season three because yeah well I'm just I guess Picard you know the show season one and two I mean even though it kind of started well they they still didn't seem to know what the fuck they were doing you know like making them into a robot and then season two just going okay we'll wreck on that and just yeah don't mind that part let's let's just pretend everything's fine again and never really reference it by one line of dialogue but the show destroyed for me in in the first 10 episodes of season one like destroyed a character who had been built over seven glorious seasons with next generation don't mind the movies but they turned like uh a once revered and respected captain into a seemingly frail pathetic old man like seemingly clueless taking a back seat in his own show which yeah i just yeah season two was just boring character shitty scripts zero chemistry it was really just falling off a cliff. Like episode to episode, it just really was a waiting to see, can the, can this actually get worse? And it just got worse and worse. And then ending with, you know, the plot hole of all plot holes where, oh, your one is the Borg Queen and she was the Borg Queen at the start, but she's a helmet on. It's like, why did, at the very start of the fucking season, does she not just arrive, take off her helmet and go, hey, it's actually me. Then the whole season doesn't happen. They're like, that's just backwards writing. That's, just, yeah. This, uh, this is, this was the absolute opposite of the highbrow 
writing, high concept writing of that golden era, the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and some Voyager. And then we got to season three, which, as much as it was complete fan service to uh, the nth degree, um, trying to right all the wrongs of the previous two seasons, um, it went completely overboard in that regard. But I still loved every fucking moment of it. Um, seeing that cast again, together again. Um, it was just such nostalgia bait. Um, but seeing them all on the bridge together, the Enterprise Day, it felt like the proper farewell movie that they never got. And it just gave me a warm feeling at the end of it that like, okay, right, this is, it's good to see it end like this. Um, yeah, like, and I get that. I do. It's just, they didn't get <laughs> that farewell yeah. time. <laughs> no, no, like, yeah. I, no, I like you. I enjoyed it because I love those characters. I have such a fond connection with them. But it's, they didn't get the thing. And it's and for me, it's too fucking late to start trying to do that now. And and t- the way they did it was, I knew, like, as much as it's enjoyable to go, oh, look, it's the Enterprise D again. Or, oh, look, it's Data again. It's Worf again. It's just, you're just throwing in these characters. The, un- the universe is fucking gigantic. And yet you were still meeting this same, you know, whatever fucking 10 characters the whole time you know that the next person they're going to reveal and they go to meet an old friend or someone that can lend I know a hand. it's going to be the ship. It's going yeah, to yeah, be yeah. another person, you know, and it's just, it's, it's going to be the same thing. And I just, it's, it's, they're, it's rated so highly out of all the Star Trek stuff that's come out recently. If you look at IMDb or anywhere else, it rates so highly because of course it does. We're getting to see our beloved characters and da da da. But it's, to me, it's just lazy. It's lazy. Hey, do you remember this? It's that Star Trek member yeah. berry stuff you know i remember it's just do you remember this do you remember this do you remember this person yeah. it's just it, it it's 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 fan service to a level i have never experienced before in all the other stuff that i watch because it's so obvious what's going to happen next it's so obvious yeah. that they're like they, it, it yeah it was it was too much for me i enjoy the feeling but it was almost like if you eat something that's i love sweet food you eat something that's too sweet and it becomes sickly sweet it was too much of a good thing. It was it was ramming nostalgia down my throat, and it just, <laughs> it, yeah, it just it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't as pleasant for me as maybe it was for other people. It was it was too much, you know. You're not wrong there, um, because I, I think the reason, main reason, and it's it's like a, a product of context, where the main reason the show is getting the audience scores and people raving about it come through the roof with their reviews is because the first or because of the season that preceded it, which was possibly the worst season of not just Star Trek of sci-fi I think I've ever seen that then when this wasn't um, following the same path and it wasn't an absolute fucking travesty, people went, it's brilliant, you know, and it's not brilliant, but yeah, it's a uh, warm and fuzzy man, warm and fuzzy. But um, yeah, so I mean, that was, I had trailed off from, from Discovery and, and Picard season three was probably the last, the last Star Trek TV I, I properly watched. Um, and I know you are a much more faithful Star Trek TV watcher these days. I mean, I've, you've, you recommended Lower Decks to me and I watched a little bit of that. I've watched first episode of, um, of Strange New Worlds, but you, you have delved far deeper into those, haven't you? Yeah, I I have with the more recent stuff, and I I I think I'd mentioned to you that I 
you know, I was definitely in denial a little bit. I, I, cause I love Star Trek. I want it to be good. I want it to be good. And so I remember saying to you, I'd watched season three of discovery and messaging you and saying, you know what? Like a lot of people are down on this, this show, the season three, <laughs> I think season three is great. I think season three is great. And, and people need to just shut up because it's great. And then kind of looking back at IDB going, looking through each episode going, no, I didn't like, no, I didn't like that episode. Oh, and I definitely didn't yeah. like that episode or, or that one. I was like, hang on a second. But I like one episode out of this fucking list of stuff. I just completely in denial because I didn't even bother with season four. I don't even know if it's a season five. Now I just, I gave up on discovery as much as I enjoyed yeah, yeah. The, some of the cast and stuff. I was like, forget that. But my, my enthusiasm and oh, outlook on Star Trek for the future was rejuvenated with strange new worlds. Like we saw, uh, Anson Mount as Captain Pike in you know in Discovery, and then obviously he gets his own show um, as the captain of the the Enterprise. Mm. Um, and this has just brought me back some hope because I think that this is some of the best Star Trek we've seen. Strange New Worlds, it's excellent. Mm. The cast are great; they're complex. Anson Mount is fucking awesome. He's a, he's so good. He's a great like, captain. He's so yeah. good. Oh, he's so good. He's so charismatic. He's just. He comes across like he can be it's an absolute badass, as well. it but just oozes. Yeah, but he, he real feels captainy, if you know what I mean. He has this real yeah, yeah. love and care for the crew. Every crew you follow member him is, into battle. Is, yes, every crew member is important to him. You get that kind of feeling from the performance that he puts in. He's, it's the costumes are awesome. They've managed to really give it that retro look while still making it fucking futuristic. I suppose something mm. they kind of tried to do a little bit in JJ Abrams stuff, um, but it's it's just a great performances great great um versions of previous characters you know um i like your man is ethan peck who plays um spock i'm pretty yeah. sure it's ethan peck um then of course He's the great. addition of new character yeah new and, and yeah and, and this, the new character the doctor is great in it nurse chapel's great uh rebecca romaine plays the first officer she's great uh christina chong is excellent in it like it's just it's a great cast episodes are really really good it does it does have a singing episode like i mentioned in the last uh in the last episode which i'm not a fan of but it's like it's quality i, I can't i'm not going to say anything about it i think we've done some spoilers a little bit for these different series as we've been talking through here i don't want to spoil anything for anybody for strange new worlds they what i do is i recommend you yeah watch it watch it immediately it's fantastic um so yeah, like Lower Decks for me is is another step in the right direction. Like it's it's for anybody who doesn't know, it's their animated se- series. They're into see, is it season four at the moment. Is it season five is coming out? Um, the it's just so fucking funny. It's great. Like Jack Quaid and uh, Tawny Newton are the two kind of mains in it. But it's it's great that they kind of it because it takes the piss out of out of Star Trek at the same time as being its own Star Trek show. You know, Riker has Riker's in it every now and again. Paris was in it. There's just and there's little digs at other shows. They make Riker out to be an absolute lunatic. Like he owns that he flies the Titan, he's captain of the Titan, and they're always flying into mental battles. You know, he's just fucking fire the lasers, everything is just fire the phase, everything is just his near dead explosions and like Boimler is on the ship as as an ensign, he's fucking terrified. It's just there's great relationships between the characters. Um it's really, really enjoyable. And there's there's even a crossover episode as well between, I won't go into anything, but there's a crossover between um, Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, which I think was done really, oh, cool. really well. I think it's in, yeah, it's in, I think it's in season two. 
uh, and it's done really, really well. It's definitely worth a watch. But I'd, I'd, both of these shows, I haven't watched Star Trek Prodigy, so I can't really comment. And as far as I know, I think they're, it's most likely either it has been cancelled or it's probably going to be cancelled from what I hear. But Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, they make me hopeful for what the future could hold for Star Trek because it is so beloved to me. I... I I would hate to see Star Trek die out or go into another hiatus or go into a stage of it being, you know, substandard again. Yeah. Um, because both those shows are really high quality for me. I, I think, honestly, as I said, I think that Strange New Worlds is some of the best Star Trek we've, we've seen, ever seen. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's great to hear because that kind of gives me a bit of hope for the future of Star Trek. As I've said, it trailed off after Discovery and only watched a few bits and pieces of, of um, Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds, but I might try to get back into them. And uh, especially Lower Decks, it just seems um, a lot of fun from what I've, what I've seen. Um, but yeah, that was, um, we could talk for fucking days about this stuff. So we've tried to just skim through as much as possible um, and just talk about, yeah, just Star Trek and it's past, present, and hopefully optimistic future. Um, so now we're going to hand over to Phil for our retro corner, which was, which is the absolute fucking banger, Galaxy Quest. Deadly cheers, Daz. Yeah, that was fun to have a good old nat about, natter about, uh, about Star Trek there. And I, I guess for the next part, to continue on with our, our bumper episode is... For our retro corner this week, we're going to be talking about the 1999 movie Galaxy Quest. So we, we talked about Star Trek movies, uh, you know, in the last section. But for me, this right here is the best Star Trek movie. This oh, is the yeah. best Star Trek movie ever made. It's, you know, it's 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 a love letter to Star Trek and sci-fi in general. But before we get into it, I'm going to give a spoiler warning. I mean, this movie is nearly a quarter of a century old, um, so I don't should really need a spoiler warning, but in comparison to our other spoiler warnings, the difference here is I would say, if you haven't seen this, do not listen to this part because you have to see this movie. Just do whatever, skip whatever you're doing now. If you're in work, leave the office, give your boss the finger, (laughs) ignore your children, do whatever you have to do, watch the movie and then come back and have a listen and see if you agree or, or disagree with anything we say. But don't let this movie get spoiled on you because it is absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. It really is. And, you know, actually, what if a mutual friend of ours does, uh, Jenny, we were talking about it the other day, and she called it a perfect movie. And oh, yeah. I, f- I find it hard to disagree with that, just on so many levels. Now, look, no movie's perfect, and, you know, this movie has its flaws, just like any other, but it's close to being perfect because of... Structurally perfect. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because of how it's structured, because of the mix of practical effects and special effects because of how well it was cast, despite some people saying they didn't want certain actors in certain roles, mm. you know, and I know that, okay, the, the original director changed and, but for me, everything worked out for the better. You know, it's, it's, it's everything Star Trek movies could have been, you know, if, if enough love was applied, they could have come out as good as this. If even 10% well of the love that went into this movie went into any other fucking post original series movie um yeah that would have been 
Yeah, fantastic. So what I thought for this one, Daz, was that because, you know, we have a bumper episode, we've got plenty of time, rather than skimming through and just this, I'm going to just kind of go through it almost the whole movie and we can just, mm. I'll just, I'll just give a little scene about exactly what's happening and you can kind of just, we'll jump in and have Brilliant. a yak about it. Um, so like ba- the basic premise of this is that we're, it, it opens up and we're at like a, um, a comic books, it opens up first of all, actually on a scene from the TV show, which is called yeah. Galaxy Quest, which is their version of Star Trek. So it looks like, as you would expect it to be, you know, hammy looking, cheap looking outfits and uniforms. It's got the same Star Trek looking vibe to it. And you see Tim Allen plays the captain, Quincy McTaggart, Quincy Taggart. And it shows a little bit of the scene and then it cuts to Comic-Con like 15 years after the show was entered. And it's it's what we all view as Comic-Con now. It's people dressed up in fucking gear from the show, from, you know, from, from every type of alien you can imagine. And it's just what we would see even in a small Comic-Con here in Dublin. You know, it's... it's mm. and, and what I loved was it's their own actors. The, the actors from the show, they're kind of viewed to it because they know it's 15 years on. They know it's because this is the main part of their career. They didn't go on and all do mm. something amazing, but it was this. It's the way you see it now with Comic-Con. We it's go true to, to life, yeah. It's, it's, it's so true to life. Yeah. And, but I loved each of the reactions, like for, for Tim Allen, they're, they're all waiting for Tim Allen to arrive, you know, and mm. you see Alan Rickman is just straight away. He's so miserable. Like he's wearing this- um, Fucking hate He it. has this, yeah, he has this hair, his prosthetic on his head. And he has this look of disdain on his face. He's complaining because he was a real actor. He was on, you know, he played at the West End and everything. And like, he ha- he's wearing this prosthetic. And what's wonderful is that he has, he's so miserable, yet this ended up being the biggest role of his career. And mm. he's so resentful of this this thing. And what they, what they do is really interesting is that he has this prosthetic and they make him wear it for the entire movie. He doesn't take it off at all. You never oh, see yeah. Alan Rickman's hair apart from when he gets the prosthetic gets a little bit damaged Scattered you see it tattered, tattered, yeah, yeah like for the most part and i think that's just a it's a really nice touch to have this guy who's the most resentful of this show what his life became because he didn't go on and be a inverted commas real actor and he's just there's this face that he can only he can pull off you know um but like tim allen comes in then and tim allen is just he lives for it you know he lives for it he lives for these fans he's delighted that he got picked for this show he he is the captain and he's not just the captain of that crew in the show he's the captain of their crew now together as they go to these comic cons so he arrives in and it's your commander has arrived you know yeah, and he's the just, showman he just he he yeah it's him and and the rest it's just like it's about me baby you came to see me and it's fucking perfect because he pulls it off so well because it's just like it's so believable <laughs> yeah did, did that give you that when you saw that opening scene back way back in 99 did it give you that feeling that star trek feeling of oh my god this is just like star trek or what was your vibe when you first kind of saw that opening part oh it's just it made me want to go to a comic-con straight away you're just going oh my god this is fucking fantastic and it just it sets up the characters and i think it sets up those character arcs so well like so quickly it's just everyone it's it's not this kind of generic um cookie cutter characters that you're introduced to it's uh they all sell it so well, so believably well, and it uh, it it was just such an exciting opening to the movie because you're just going where like where is this going? You know, yeah. I yeah. thought just Tim Allen's introduction was just 
you get a sense of the the lack of camaraderie in this group. They're just like, oh, this fucker again. And he's just, he must, you just straight away, he's kind of so likable as a character, as an actor, as a person, but you can, you can see why he's like, hey, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. We're inside. He is, it's just, he's so self-deluded and just, it's it's all about him and everyone, the whole cast and crew fucking hate him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he, like I said, he has that, he's their commander, whether they're on the show or whether they're not, it's he's the leading man. And like when he, when they, when they get introduced, then they get brought out on stage and it's um, Sam Rockwell is kind of the guy who's introducing him. And Sam Rockwell is fucking amazing as he always is, but the best he's thing introducing in the movie, them. Man. He's introducing them one by one, you know, and they each come out and they kind of have a big, um, you know, a smile and stuff like that in their face. And they each get introduced one by one. And you just see Alan Rickman's face when he comes out. Like it's just, the look of the staying, because they show the screen behind them, they're showing shots from the TV show. Yeah, and yeah. just the look of the, the half closed eyes. I would like, it's RIP, you know, I would give anything for Alan Rickman to look at me with a look of disdain. You know what I mean? What, what an actor. <laughs> but he's incredible in this. And then, but of course, you know, and then Tim Allen comes out and he lives it up. This, the fucking crowd go wild. And he has the, he's pumping up the fans. And he has that, his, his famous line from the show never give up, never surrender. And the fucking crowd are going bananas. And so they've done that part. And now they're sitting down to do the sign, the meet and greet with all the fans. And again, the fans are coming up talking to Alan Rick, to um, to Tim Allen. And he's bigging it up. You know, he's talking about different shows. He's like, oh, we all remember what happened to that beast on, you know, Blargon 7. And the fans were <laughs> laughing. But then you see Alan Rickman and he's signing autographs and each one walks up to him, is also wearing a prosthetic and they're doing his signature phrase is like by grab Thar's hammer i will avenge you and they do the little sign and he just kind of looks oh looks up at them like with disdain again disdain signs his name and hands it over next guy walks over and he doesn't even get to finish his sentence he walks up and goes by grab Thar's," and he snatches his head of his hand signs it hands it back next and he's just he hates being there and it makes he sells it so so well it's pitch perfect like just pitch perfect absolutely another actor could dial it up a bit like dial it up a tiny bit more and it becomes kind of a bit of a parody, a bit of a slapstick. It's just, yeah, it's absolutely, that's, we'll touch on that, how it was directed and everything, but yeah, it's just, it's fucking on the money. It's absolutely spot on. Like, and you, you kind of get, get introduced very briefly then to Justin Long and his mates who will come into it a bit more. Like, so Justin Long showed up with his, his geeky mates and like a lot of people who are super into these shows, he has spotted some, continuity issues you know with the show and he's like you know we're just wondering about episode so and so i mean was that a mistake or was that that and he's just he's dismissive of them and he he just kind of you know passes them off and of course they're dressed in the full you know outfits and all the rest of it something you know you would have seen daz wearing walking down the streets of cork when he was young kind of thing you know and what we're introduced <laughs> what we're introduced to then as well is the the thermians so this is where hmm. The Thermians play a massive part, obviously, in the movie. So these are these aliens, but we don't find out. We just see these guys show up and they blend in. They're at a convention. So they're wearing these sci-fi looking outfits and they walk up and start talking to Tim Allen and asking him for telling him, oh, we have this, you know, we have this fucking dilemma. Will you come with us? And he just passes them off because they're just, you know, they just look like fans. And you go and then he goes off. This is where we kind of see a bit of a turn in his character is that he goes off to use the jacks and while he's in there taking a piss in the cubicles, he hears a couple of guys outside who are bad mouthing the cast, bad mouthing the show. 
and they're slagging off Tim Allen and they tell him just as you said at the start Daz about how much the crew hate him he says he, they, they all hate him and he doesn't realise how much that's they it, hate yeah, him yeah he doesn't realise and yeah. and that's just this massive change he's been living this up thinking everybody loves him the cast love him and it's this show to oh crap maybe I am this fucking maybe people just don't like me and when he comes mm. cuts back to him and he's trying to sign the photos and this time he's just miserable he's just signing them handing them over and mm. this time when Justin Long walks up again to ask him the same question He's like, it's just a fucking TV show, all right? It's just a show. Leave me alone, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and storms off. Burst his bubble completely. Yeah, and it's kind of sad. You kind of see the the very quick decline. You know, he's been living in this kind of high of how awesome he is, and then he just overhears Jesus. I hadn't. I just assumed I was amazing, but here, mm. apparently, they nobody fucking they don't like me, and that is a um. So he goes, <laughs> it cuts to him. Then he goes, he goes home to have a fucking drink, um, and has too many, and he passes out on the couch. And the Thermians, who he's met, who he assumes were offering him a gig, he they show up to his gaff and he's fucking hung over to bits. And he does an he, absolute and, smashing hang or hungover. Oh, he does. Yeah, he does. He's in bits. Like, he's crawling around on the like, fucking floor. I, been, and, we've, we've all been that guy waking up on the floor, like. <laughs> yeah, he's meldy. Like he's just in bits, and he's 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 convinced that they've shown up to at some gig. Then another show, he's going to do it. Like a pilot or a TV spot or something like that, so he doesn't cop. So they go and they they pick them up and they've organised the limo that he's asked for the day before, and um, it's it's brilliant because you get introduced to the Thermians and they're they're sitting in the limo and it's there because they're not they're humanoid but they're not yeah they're not impressive so they're talking in this voice and it's hello hello we are from the planet and but but he turns around and he's he's talking to Missy Pyle is playing one of the. Uh, Missy Pyle is playing one of the aliens, you know, and she's sitting beside him and she's the only one not saying anything. And he's like, hey, so what's up? And he's flirting with her. So he, he turns up, he turns, she finally says something, but she no, opens no. her mouth, she just lets out this scream, this, la, la, la. and the others are like, oh, her, her, tr- transla- her translator is broken. And it's just, she just lets out this fucking scream and how nobody in the, nobody else in the limo pisses themselves laughing. They must have done yeah, that yeah, take, how many takes a billion take times. Like, that, cause like, he just, she just fuck. screams at him, you know, um, no, her translator is broken. It's so so well done, um, but he's he's wrecked and he's hung over. So he 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 doesn't get he he's not there for the trip to the spaceship because he's hung over and he goes, I'm going to close my eyes for a few minutes. And when he wakes up, he's on the spaceship. So this is where they explain what's happened. They say, Listen, there's this bad guy, Saris. He's been killing all our people, mm-hmm. and uh, we need your help. He again, he still thinks it's part of some big elaborate show that he's going to be yeah, on yeah. as. Quincy Taggart and so he goes on to like um he co- he goes up and they bring him on they show him the screen and Saris is there talking to him and again he's amazed like well he's like it's animatronics Jeez, or something yeah, he's like yeah, well yeah. this it's business you really spared no expense you know this is uh <laughs> this so he goes listen he just starts saying random stuff he's like tell you what let's just I gotta be somewhere else in like 15 minutes so let's just fire the red cannons fire the blue cannons let's just kill him <laughs> all right I'm done and he just starts shaking hands and he just walks off fire assuming that he's yeah, assuming that he's just on some set and they're going to drop him off to his next, you know, his next show. So, so they bring him off to the fucking, the transport yoke and then they leave the room and he's like, hey, where the fuck? Where am I going? Where's my limo? And then he's yeah. standing on this spot and all of a sudden he gets yeah, covered in this so like good. fucking jelly jam thing and the door is open and you just see he's in fucking space and the look in his face of holy fucking shit, where am I? And then he just fucking <laughs> lift off. He gets fired through this fucking black hole of a thing and lands outside his gaff just fucking shivering and fucking like what the <laughs> fuck just happened ptsd well, style just happened. You know? um 
And so he's he's back and he lines his gaff. And then the, the next scene is that we get to revisit then the uh, we revisit then the um, the rest of the cast. And so if you remember this, as they they cut to them and they're doing got another thing that you see a lot of yeah, maybe yeah. aging stars or stars that are famous for one kind of thing. They're the stars of Galaxy Quest. You know, Sigourney Weaver. It's Sam Rockwell. It's Alan Rickman. Tony Shalhoub. Um, and God, I can't remember the guy who plays. Oh God, I can't remember the guy who plays. He's the he's he's a kid in the original Galaxy Quest, and he's grown up now. Laredo is his name in the show. But I can't uh, remember the name of the actor for the life Darryl of Daryl Mitchell. Yeah, um, there's Tommy Weber. Yeah, it's, yeah. So they're all they're all um, they're all standing outside this electronics goods store, and that's their jobs. They're all in the outfits, and they're like, "Neb, we've been all across the galaxy." And this is the most thing we've ever seen. And then again, it cuts to it cuts to Alan Rickman, and he's just sitting there again. And he's like, "I'm not saying it. I don't want to fucking say it." It's to him, and it's there's this big it. silence. Yeah, and he's like, he goes by Gravatar's hammer, and then it's just this big silence. And he goes, "What is savings?" And then they cut the ribbon. And, the and it's just, and it's just, he's just this defeated. Defeated it's man. It's the pause. You know? It's the yeah. It's the pause. Saving. Ah, oh, yeah. Just Alan Rickman. Where are you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's so so well done. Um, <laughs> but like, so again, they're doing the. They're, 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 again. What's his face? They're they're bitching because Tim Allen should have been there and he hasn't shown mm. up. Yeah. And so they're signing all these things and eventually he shows up and he's like, guys, you got to come with me. I've been. There's a real spaceship. You got to. And they're all just telling him to piss off. You know, they're not interested. They keep on signing the yoke. So he, the Thurbians arrive. They're like, listen, Saris is back. You know, he obviously he wasn't killed. You got to come back to the ship. Again, they just assume that these are some random people, not that they're aliens. He goes off and they're all getting in the back of this minivan to go home. And then one, I think uh, Tony Shalhoub is like, who, by the way, is fucking incredible in this movie. He, so uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I think he was just talking about giving us a, going and getting a job, getting a gig. And they're like, oh, holy shit, we can't turn this down. So they run around and it's their turn to get transported to the ship in the yeah. jelly thing like that. And so they all get fucking shot and just their fucking faces again. The way they're all just fucking shivering after they land. Like, what the fuck is just happening? Flying through space. And for me, yeah, it's yeah. One of, yeah, for me, it's one of Sam Rockwell's like best moments in it because he's just fucking terrified. And then all the Thermians come in and they're not in their humanoid form. They're in their regular like octopus looking people form. Yeah, yeah. And they come in to do all the prodding around and everything. And it just stops. And Sam Rockwell hasn't said anything in ages. And he just lets out this fucking massive scream. scream. And it's just incredible. <laughs> like, I've watched that movie like how many times. And every time I just burst out laughing. It's so, so well done. Like, but yeah, like, it, it's, it, it's, you know, we're so early in the movie at this point. And I, I, I even now to watch it again, like, you know, whatever, 20 fucking, whatever, 24 years on. It's still, you know, we're nearly 25 years on. It's still mm. at this point makes me smile. There's no part of this point where I'm going, I'll skip this part or I'll just, well, I'll tune it's out until the cool part comes in. You know? It's just, every scene yeah, it's paced. is necessary and every scene is brilliant. You know, it's just smashing stuff. Yeah. And, and, and we kind of find out here that the, the Thermians have been, they've modeled their whole society around what they call historical documents. So they've been, they found (laughs) the old galaxy quest show, which had been, you know, beamed out forever across satellites and they had picked it up and they had modeled their whole society because their society had fallen into disarray and all the rest of it, but they were inspired by 
the adventures of this crew because they thought that they were historical documents. They don't like, understand what TV is or what lying is or what acting is. Mm. So they modeled, they built, they've built the ship, they've built the space station, they've done all this stuff because they they believe that this is the way forward. And so when they when they build the exact replica of the ship from from Galaxy Quest, you get to see it. So they arrive and this the ship comes to the station. They're like, oh my God, are we in space? And Tim Allen's like, yeah, yeah you guys yeah. want to see the ship? And when they go to see the ship, when they go in that like turbo lift style thing and it comes up and they're looking out into space and they see that spaceship in the Defender spaceship in the dock. Like I'm getting goosebumps now just oh, talking yeah, about yeah. it. It's fucking incredible. It looks, it looks amazing. Even 25 years on the, the model department did an amazing job. Um, you know, they go on, they have to, they get the shop, they got the, the crew are introduced to these people and they're just, they're obviously the rest of the crew are fucking hesitant as fuck. They're like, we can't, what the hell are we doing? We're in space. And he's like, but well, do you really want to leave? Tim Allen's like, do you really want to leave space or do you want to go and check out this adventure? It's fucking incredible. It's the acting role of a yeah. lifetime. And they have another amazing part is him, is uh, Tommy Weber trying to take the ship out of dock. Remember that he doesn't know how to oh, control that's... the ship. They're like, well, listen, they're like he modeled the controls after watching you on the show. And he's like, I don't know how to yeah. fucking fly this thing. And so he's, <laughs> he's trying to use acting, the controls man. to take him out. And yeah, and it's all going really fine. They're just coming out really slowly out of the dock. And all of a sudden he noticed that the ship is listing to the left. He's like, oh shit, we're going to hit the wall. And everybody's like, but everyone's the edge angling of their, seat their heads. Everybody's leaning, yeah, angling, yeah. <laughs> and then it just, go, the way it just hits it. Right, and it just, yeah, and it just hits the wall and then just scrapes. It's a screech. And you hear the big loud scrapes. <laughs> scrape and there's little bits of the ship coming off. They scrape their way out of the dock. It's just, it's, 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 and again, when you mention pacing, they don't do it too long like you would in like a slapstick mm. kind of movie. They don't do it too short. They do it just enough to make it awkward and uncomfortable yet incredibly funny and, it's and it just, doesn't outstay its welcome it's the, the beauty of like physical humor you know what i mean there's this it's not overwritten that scene it's just you know everyone just leaning in the background and just come on a bit to the left a bit to the left it's just it's it's perfect like it's fucking hilarious and no one says anything it's just good yeah. writing and and so i suppose they go on into the next part they're kind of saying that obviously the crew don't know what they're doing and they mention that the the previous captain uh they show actually a video of what happened to the previous captain that your man Saris had killed him and the crew were like, fuck this, we have to get out of here. <laughs> but then the Saris, yeah. But then Saris shows up and another, it's another great moment straight away. He shows up and they're, they have him on screen and they're talking about how they have to, how to, how to get out of here. So he looks over at, he's talking about how we have to surrender the, surrender the Omega 13, which is this device that's on the ship and nobody knows what it does. And he's like, mm-hmm. he goes, tell you what. So he looks over to Sigourney Weaver, whose character's name is, is Gwen. And he does this, you know, sign under his neck, like cut off, cut off yeah. the thing. And she looks back and she nods and does the same thing back to him. <laughs> so he's telling her to mute the TV, mute the mute the screen, which of course she hasn't done. And he's like, right, look, I've, I've dealt with this guy before. He's as dumb as he is ugly. You go over there, fire those <laughs> missiles at him. We're going to sit down there. We're going to blow him up. And then like, uh, he can hear you. He's like, what? I thought I told you to put on. I showed you the put us on mute sign. And she goes, no, no, you showed us the we're dead sign. And I was agreeing with you. Like, we are dead. Um, and he's like, perhaps I'm not as dumb as I am stupid, you know? And so he's, he's, he decides to fucking, Saris decides to fire missiles at them. And it cuts down to Sam Rockwell looking at the screen. And he's like, I got guys, guys, at this, I'm looking on the screen here. And there's like some red thingies flying towards the green thingy. I, I, think, I think we're in the we're green the thingy. Green. <laughs> Um, and again, you get the cool looking models of of his ship and Saris's ship, and they both look fucking awesome. Um, yeah, and so great. to get away, 
yeah, to, to get away from him then, they fly and they go through this minefield. Um, and of course, Tommy can't fucking fly the ship properly yet. So the, mach- the ship gets battered and gets banjacked. Smack into every single like, fucking one. Yeah. yeah, pretty much every mine. And so the next part of the uh, the next part of the movie is them going, right, the only way to fix it is to get a this thing called a beryllium sphere. So it's great because the computer mm. can kind of tell them, the computer tells them everything they need to know. And like Gwen's kind of role as it was in the show was basically just to repeat what the computer says. It's like, computer, what can we do to fix it? It's like, we're going to need a beryllium sphere. So she just turns around to the captain. We're going to need a beryllium sphere. We're going to need a beryllium sphere. Um, I've got one job on this ship and it's stupid, but I'm going to do it. Um, so then, so they, they go down and land on this planet and straight away they meet these little cute looking little creatures. They're like little, little, you know, elven like fucking children. Um, and you're yeah. like, oh God, they look so cute. <laughs> but they quickly very turdy turn turn vicious and they start trying to fucking kill the crew so the crew escape but um tim allen is left behind the crew escape on their shuttlecraft and tim allen's left behind and <laughs> there's there's a part where he's like right we're gonna have to get him we can try and beam him up and it's tim allen's there and the little kids of monsters have knocked him out and he wakes up and there's this weird looking half donkey half some sort of pig creature that's in front of him and they're like, well, hey, we have to get him out of there. And they're like, well, we can beam up. Can we not get a transporter? And they're like, well, we haven't really used a transporter because once again, we built this looking at the TV show. So we looked at Tony Shalhoub making it. So we really just, we don't really know how it works. We just know we saw him how using it. So so they asked Tony Shalhoub to use it. And he's like, I haven't got a fucking breeze. So like, we'll test it on that. We'll, we'll test it on the pig alien. So they're messing around. Eventually he locks on and they beam the pig alien up. <laughs> and it arrives up and is like, did you get him? Did you arrive up? And he's like, yeah, we got him. <laughs> but it's inside out <laughs> and it explodes. Um, and so they're just going to have to, they have to basically look around for a way to fight this. They, they, they can't, they, they're trying to help them through the comms and they say, you're going to have to look way around to find something to help because the, um, the, little, the little alien creatures have set this big, huge rock monster on them. And so this big rock monster is trying to catch him. And anyway, they eventually, they eventually get him, uh, get him beamed out. And while this is all happening and they're trying to save uh, Tim Allen, Saris ends up boarding the ship and takes load of the mm. staff um, hostage. And this is, um, this is where there's one of the really, really heartbreaking moments in the movie because, mm. as I said, these aliens, they don't, they don't know. They don't lie. They don't deceive. They don't know any of that kind of stuff. And their leader, Mavisar, they have him tied down and they're trying to get information out of him and tim allen says look i can't do anything we this show isn't real there's no such thing as a Hmm. as a what's it called an omega-13 he goes explain it to him explain to him that you lied and he has to explain to mathazar that they're not really aliens that the historical documents aren't real and that they lied and yeah he's just he's heartbroken it's such a sad moment you know he's it's play it's played so sweet and so poignant yeah i mean but like yeah that's the, the fact that tim allen you know, um, as much as uh, it's great to see him in the movie and you think he's going to be delivering a certain type of performance, you don't think he's going to go down this avenue of really, because he's Tim the Two-Man Taylor, you know, he's this comedic actor and he sells all that very well. He's very good at it. But then when he, like for the writers and director to trust that he could pull this off um, mm. and, and and deliver the weight of the scene, it's, it's gut-wrenching. Like it really is. It's yeah, like, your eyes well up um, considerably and it's straight away you're just going this like as you're saying at various moments in this movie it still just keeps getting better and better and better and 
this is another one of those moments where you get to it and you're just going, fucking, they are just nailing this. Like, this is... Yeah. I'm I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking on board. And this is... They've got the humor. They've got the recurring kind of... The recurring joke of not knowing what to do on the ship. And that never gets old. And they play that a few times. But then when they tug at the heartstrings, and that's generally in movies like this where it's misguided and they kind of... They, they miss the boat a little bit. But when they nailed this straight away it was uh it was just it's just it's still watching it back now you know as you're saying 25 years later that scene is still just like oh it's fucking beautiful like let's tim the two man taylor delivering this fucking ah just showing he can act you know really fucking good yeah and and even your man who plays like we don't get i don't know the actor who plays saras in it but Mm. it's his it's his joy. Like he sees so, he sees so little in these creatures, these termians. He just mm. sees them as vermin and it's just, he wants to hurt them. That's what matters. He's like, explain, explain to yeah. him like he's a child. They, you know, and he just, he really wants them to suffer. He, it's not enough yeah. to know that you could just destroy the ship and go, oh, well, I didn't realize this wasn't the real yeah, it's thing. It's very cerebral. Go it's fuck yourselves. Deep, like he wants to really fucking hurt them. Like, uh. Yeah, he really wants to hurt and he wants to embarrass Tim, uh, Tim yeah. Allen and stuff. And it's real... It's a heartbreaking scene done so well. Um, so before, and again, you know, Cyrus could blow the ship up, but before he leaves, he's like, no, again, they're going to suffer. He sets it up to suck all the atmosphere out of like the barracks. Mm-hmm. So they're losing life support um, for the crew. And he sets the self-destruct to blow the ship up as well. And so a bunch of them start leaving. And a bunch uh, Saras leaves and a bunch of the crew where the bad guys are leaving the ship. And so two of the bad guys are taking... Tim and um sorry taking Tim Allen Alan Rickman them into like an airlock so they can blow them out the airlock and when they're in there they start uh, Tim Allen and Alan Rickman start a fake fight just to distract the guards a usually a, a movie trope that you see quite a lot you know yeah, they yeah. start you hit me the start a fight so they start yeah. that and they're able then to take out the guards they start a fake fight the guards get sucked out the airlock and then they're like right this is the part where okay we need to rally together we need to make a plan to take over the ship to find out how to get rid of the self-destruct. And so it's cool because this is where we get to see Justin Long brought back into it. So yeah. they're like, yeah, they're like, how, how we have to get to the core and turn off the self-destruct. And like, well, how the fuck are we supposed to get to the core? I don't know anything about the core of the ship. And your man goes, well, I know a guy who does because it accidentally, he'd swapped later on this shit, this, this, the movie, he had accidentally swapped his, uh, his little communicator with Justin Long. So Justin Long actually yeah, had yeah. this fucking intergalactic space communicator and he thought it was a little <laughs> fake one. So he calls him and it's another great scene again. He calls him and he's like, listen, this is uh, this is the actor, you know, I think it's Peter Naismith is his name in it. I just wanted to say, I'm really sorry for how I flipped out at you. And, you know, I shouldn't have treated you like that. And before he gets to finish his sentence, Justin Long is like, listen, I'm not some complete mental case. You know, I know the show isn't real and that, and then... <laughs> and then Tim Stuman Taylor goes, no, no, it is real. And Justin Long straight away goes, I fucking knew it. I knew it. <laughs> it's just so well done. Straight away. I knew it. Um, um, and it's just, so he's asking for help. And, you know, so he has to then call all his little geeky mates. He calls them on fucking video chat. And he's like, look, you know, you're an expert in knowing the fucking, the, the innards of the ship. And you're the expert in this mm. part in engineering. And so they're all trying to help him get through. And um, at the same time, they're kind of they they each person is learning, almost like a montage. They're all this is how they're all learning mm. how to actually do their job on the ship. You know, like fucking Alan Rickman is goes to help the crew with with to help the crew who were suffocating. Uh, Tommy mm-hmm. goes in; he goes to learn how to fly the ship so he can fly it properly. You know, they're all it's a little yeah, montage yeah. that they all are becoming. 
the crew members that the Thermians think that they are, you know? Yeah. Um, so they go in, they see, as they're passing through, they see the inside of the Omega-13 and they ask Justin, do you know what this is? He's like, no, no, people have theorized what it could be. It could be a weapon. Mm. It could be something. Some people think that it might be a device that could turn. This is your your moment of foreshadowing. He's like, some people think that it could be a device that could allow you to turn back time 13 seconds. And Tim Tuman Taylor almost looking at the cameras like, because Gwen says, what could you do in 13 seconds? And Tim says, almost enough time to undo a mistake you know and it's just okay, yeah 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 we're setting that we're setting that up um yeah, yeah, yeah. so they walk around the corner and this is where they see these big fucking huge metal bricks that are slamming boom 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 like fucking <laughs> yeah. slamming across and mario Lama and or something it's yeah. it's and, and it's a great thing that they never they didn't bother taking out because directly at the, scr- at the screen uh sigourney weaver says well fuck that and they yeah, changed yeah, yeah. it to they change it to well screw that but they don't they don't like do a shot from behind her head and ADR or anything. Oh, you can, you can see her You can plainly it, yeah. see they just they just left it in. But like as you were saying during our our Halloween episode, this would have been PG thirteen. Would they have been allowed one fuck back then? Could they have said fuck? Yeah, I think you get a you get away with a one fuck or two shits. <laughs> yeah, they should have absolutely. Maybe they used maybe they used the two shits and couldn't use the one fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting they, sentence, they gave, that, actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he gave two shits, so he couldn't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> so then, yeah. So, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. So while they're cutting to different uh, different, different people, they cut to Tony Shalhoub. Um, and there's a he's trying to save, again, help them save people. And there's a bunch of the alien guys are play, like playing cards in the engineering room. And like, how are we going to get in and overpower them? So he uses the transporter to transport the rock monster in to the uh, oh, yeah, engineering room yeah. or whatever room it is <laughs> and he fucking they're at rock monster beats the shit out of all the bad guys and they get sucked out into space and then next thing the, the sexual chemistry between him and missy pile has been building <laughs> and yeah. they just start get they just start getting all over each other but while she's doing it you see her tentacles so she's in human form but her tentacles start yeah. coming up over his shoulder and tony shalom is totally totally into it <laughs> we just see again Sam Rockwell's looking over and he's like, Oh god, that's not no, right. No, it's just that's, it's, not, that's right. not right. It's so good. Um and again there's another touching moment again shortly after this with um with Alan Rickman. Mm. Because throughout the show there's one guy in it, Quillick is his name, and he's one of the aliens who has looked up to Alan Rickman, you know, and and tried and kind of modeled his life after him and his character and stuff, and he ends up dying in Alan Rickman's arms mm. and Alan Rickman gives him the touchy moment where he says his one line in the movie, but says it with such care and tenderness. He does that by grab Tara's hammer. I will avenge you. And he's looking into Quillick's eyes as he dies. And he says it with such care and such sincerity. It's really beautifully done. And then, yeah, then he goes and just fucking runs straight at one of the bad guys to take him out. Cause he's the guy who yeah. had just killed him. Um, and it's, it's really beautifully done. Um, again, like you said, how it's paced, how it's balanced, these moments of comedy dropped in with these moments of between not just sweetness, but genuine emotional weight. Um, oh, yeah. So, so well done. So, uh, yeah, they, so they get in and they, they, the, the, ta- Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver get in. They're just, they're trying to go out and de- de- turn off the self destruct. So they get in and there's a few seconds left and they press the button, but the self destruct doesn't turn off. And there's the panic. And so they just, you know, Tim Allen's just about to tell her that he always loved her and they hug. And then they count down to one second 
and then nothing happens. The ship doesn't blow up because the ship never blows up. If you've ever seen any <laughs> show, anybody's ever said it, it always gets stopped at one second, just before it's about to blow up. Just And because they've modeled their ship after the show and built it exactly the same, it's so clever and they've gone through so much to get there to the self-destruct and the ship doesn't even fucking blow up and it's it's really clever because it is a device that's used in so many of these shows but of course the ship doesn't blow up and then so Cyrus finds out then he's like hang on the fucking shit this ship hasn't blown up let's go back and blow them up you know we're not letting these fuckers away so Cyrus goes up but this time you know they're kind of ready for him they're flying around and they're they're flying through the um the minefield and this time Tim Allen says to uh, to Tommy, he's like, any chance you could fly any closer and pick up some of those mines? And at this stage, Tommy's been learning to fly the ship for 15 minutes. So he's fucking amazing, out. you know? So so he's they're flying along and he's dragging all these mines and they pull out the last second and the mines go flying towards Saris' ship to blow it up. At the last second, you see Saris run out and he's run towards a console and the camera cuts off. You're like, okay, well, obviously he was running to do something. So Saris' mm. ship blows up. They're all on the bridge of the Defender and they're all high-fiving and delighted with themselves. And then Tony Shalhoub walks onto the bridge and he pulls a gun and he just starts executing them. You know, he first of all, he shoots at Tim Allen. Then he hits a button and he shows he was wearing some cloak and device. It was Saras to make himself look like Tony Shalhoub. He kills the whole crew and Tim Allen shouts out to Mathazar to activate the Omega-13. So he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but... What happens is what Justin Long suggested. What happens? 13 seconds um, in time get rewinded. And this time, Tim Allen's ready. So between him and Mathazar, they take out they take out Saris as he enters the ship. And so that's that's kind of the end of the bad guys. So, you know, again, there's another emotional kind of thing as the Thermians and the Earthlings uh, part ways. They're kind of flying by the Earth. They're like, listen, the ship has to split. We have to, or it'll get torn apart. So, they eject part of the ship with just the earthlings on it and Missy Pyle, who decides to stay with Tony Shalhoub. And it cuts, first of all, to us here in like an earth. And to- what, uh, Justin Long is trying to guide them home by setting off fireworks and going, this is where to land, you know, because they're supposed to have shown up in the real world. They're supposed to have shown up at Comic-Con and they're no-shows. And next thing, this fucking ship, they arrive and they plow stride into the middle of the convention center tables get knocked over everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's incredibly done um practical effect you know because it comes smashing through the side mm. of the building everything gets knocked all over the place everybody's screaming and then the ship opens up and the cast come out one by one and again the people that come and kind of have no idea they think it's a big stunt that they've all arrived yeah, and they walk yeah. out and they're all fucking disheveled and they're bruised and battered they're like what the fuck where the fuck are we oh shit we're at comic-con um so they all come stumbling out. The crowd are all cheering on. And then you just see Saris wakes up. He's still alive. And uh, Tim Tim does this kind of roll, like a ninja roll across the ground, picks up a gun, shoots Saris. Saris explodes. And again, people think it's a practical effect. So they all just yeah. start screaming and cheering them <laughs> on, you know. And Tim Allen then goes and, you know, la- la- lays a kiss on Sigourney Weaver and the crowd go wild. And then the next part, it kind of just ends with them cutting to the opening credits of what is the new adventures of galaxy quest. So you see them all mm. welcome to the new adventures of galaxy quest. They're all playing them, saying their same characters. And this time Sam Rockwell has a role in it as well. And it's just showing a name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, 
it's so well done. Like that's that's the end of the movie. And I know I've fucking spoke a million times a million million words a second to get through that because I could easily talk about that movie for about four hours. But between all my waffling dads, give me give me some of your views of this movie. I know I've rattled on through it, so I'd love to know what it what it means to you. Does it mean as much to you as it does to me? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was fantastic. That's a good run through, man. Um, yeah, I think like when it came out. I don't think we realized how good it would be looking back on it because, you know, it came out in 1999. I was even, I know it was uh, one of those cracking years for movies, but you had like Fight Club, The Matrix, American Beauty, Magnolia, Sixth Sense, you know, uh, Green Mile, going through them, Toy Story 2, and Jesus keeps going and going. And this is up there with some of the best movies. Or one of the best movies of that year by a country mile. Um, it's just, as we said, it's like, it's just got the tightest script. I think I've ever, one of the tightest scripts I've ever seen. Um, I just couldn't fault any of the characters at all. I remember just watching it and it's just, the thing that came to mind always was just everything they're trying to do is, is hitting. It's all coming together at the same time. It's the humor, the story, the emotional beats, the, the for people like us and, and geeks, the por- portrayal of nerds and kind of trekking geek culture is just spot on. And uh, the fact that they, they're kind of the heroes at the end of the movie is just wonderful. And they stick the landing perfectly. That's that's the main thing. It's always a worry with a movie like this where, you know, uh, how is it going to end? Is it just going to be another kind of three-star movie where the ending just falls off or they just studio involvement or they just get it wrong or you know they just the, the plot just kind of trails off but it just yeah it just stuck the landing completely but for me i'd say the highlight was uh oh jesus christ you can't really go into highlights it's just so many but sam rockwell um when i watched it back recently after we saw the the documentary the fantastic documentary when you watch back sam rockwell it, it's worth just watching it again just to see what he's doing in every scene because he's like playing the um a kind of um, caricature of that, the the person who dies. The red shirt. In, the red shirt. Essentially, the red Star shirt from Star Trek, Trek yeah. who, yeah, who always ends up, the away team is, you know, yeah. Captain Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and, you know, Ensign, whatever. Like, it's even even Family Guy do a piss take on it. They're like, yeah, you know, yeah, Scott yeah. Bones, whatever, and Ensign Ricky. And Ensign Ricky just goes, oh, crap. Because they were the ones who always got killed <laughs> off. And you know, that's and kind that's, of who Yeah, he that's is, the so. scene um, when they're um, on one of the, towards the end of the movie where he's like he's freaking out in the ship and he's he's saying to Sigourney Weaver like I'm you know I'm the guy that dies I'm just gonna fucking die and she's just like you're not gonna die you're an important part of the crew and he's like what's my name what's my name I don't even have a last name (laughs) (laughs) he's like you have a last name do I do I (laughs) do I (laughs) (laughs) he's brilliant but like in the back of every scene uh, even when he's, he's no speaking part he's just standing in the back of the scene just smiling and just reacting 100% effort to the character and to the scene like he's just fucking sublime but um there's a i guess the the well like we touched on some of the poignant moments but like the the character arcs that go through it like it's just so simplistic the things that they kind of set up at the start but the weight of when they pay off is just brilliant it's like the uh book ending the movie essentially with kind of a comic-con setting and you have you know at the start you have tim allen as we say coming out and it's all about him and um he's just self-obsessed kind of egotistical maniac um and then at the end when he's coming out 
and he's getting applause from the crowd or whatever. He ushers his cast and crew or his crew members on first and then takes the, you know, applause himself. That kind of stuff. And, and yeah, like with Alan, Alan Rickman's similar thing where he's just delivering his catchphrase and just hating it. And, you know, as you're saying, he detests this. Um, and you, you just think they're just setting up a little little um, character trait with his character. This is just like, oh, this is played for laughs. But then the payoff is when he delivers that so poignantly and so with so much emotion when that guy is dying in his arms it's just things like that that is just it's just perfect like it's it's these scenes at the start don't really take too much um they don't demand too much attention for themselves and it's it's kind of a character arc foreshadowing that you don't even notice at the time but when it's paid off it's like ah it's just fucking brilliant (laughs) yeah 100 couldn't agree more on that and I suppose when you, the Comic Con thing we've we've spoken about a couple of times, twenty five years ago, this you know, this Comic Con again, as we said in one of our in one of maybe our first episode, wasn't as commonplace as it, as it is now, where there's you know there's cons for fucking everything you can think of now, yeah. but also it was smaller stars did the circuit, you know, it was stars like this, yeah. you know, maybe some Star Trek episodes, someone who might have had a recurring episode, two recurring episodes, and they're coming on to meet fans, you know, it's. It was really small time. Whereas you look at now, the stars that come to some of these things, like we're seeing sometimes at Comic-Con, we get to see the first trailer for a movie that it's the first mm. time it's ever been shown. It's a world premiere for a trailer at a Comic-Con. You know, we're talking full-on A-listers are going to these... Massive events now where before they were like C-list yeah, they were actors. Yeah, yeah, it was for your, your, as you said, it's for your geeks, it's for your outsiders. Mm. Whereas now... Being an outsider is fucking cool, and and these yeah, movies yeah. make a shitload of money, and so Comic Con is massive now. But to see it in that one, it is a lot more low budget. It's very much people who are there in a little convention center. It's not a big fucking hall of a thing, you know. It's not a big impressive fucking hall thing. It's very much it looks low budget. Their dressing rooms are low budget. The tables they're signing on are low budget. The people who are in costumes are in. You know, they're not anywhere near the kind of level of, of quality of cosplay that you see now. It's it's real, the beginning of cosplay kind of stuff or the, the beginning of Comic-Con. And it's 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 wonderful to see that as well. Um, it's, you know, actually just... And yeah, like one of the beautiful things as well about the movie's portrayal of a Comic-Con and, of, and of, about the people that are attending and worshipping these actors of these TV shows is... In a lesser movie, they're the butt of the joke. You know, it, it would be at their expense. It's too easy. You're just like, oh, these, mm. you know, just let's take the piss out of them. Where it's not at all. It's it's there's so much uh, respect paid to even before all this stuff was kind of cool. So much respect paid yeah. for paid to um, what these people are doing. You know, they're just I, I love this guy. I want to, you know, paying what twenty thirty dollars to get an autograph or something. That's that's just passion and, and love where it could so easily or so easily been the butt of the joke and it's it's fantastic and it's it's so respectful that they went the other way and had the balls to do that and it paid off which was yeah incredible yeah yeah definitely and i think because as you said like just justin long and his crew are one of the saviors of the movie they tell the them how to get through to the they help them what the Omega 13 thing is. They help them get to the core. They light the, um, the whatchamacallit, the fireworks to, to get them, you know, to get them back home. Um, actually, just, yeah, we missed, I did miss out one scene. There is one part where 
he's trying to um they're he's trying to tell them how to get back home he's like oh i'm gonna light the way with the fucking you know with fireworks and but before that he's trying to guide them through the ship and of course it's fucking it's perilous you know there's fucking things slamming all over the place and while they're doing that Justin Long's ma has come up into his room and told him he has to oh, take yeah, out the garbage. Yeah. And he's like, mom, you don't realize the, the magnitude of the situation. There's a da, da 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 And she's like, I don't care. Take out the fucking rubbish. Like, so he's running out to the front garden to put the yeah, rubbish yeah. in. Meanwhile, you know, fucking millions of miles away in the spaceship, the crew were almost getting killed. You know, it's so well done. Like, the, the real life being tied into it. Um, but look, I think, I think that's, I think that's, that's plenty for us. I think to have talked about, you know, around this movie, I, I, I hear, I hear tell they're considering a TV show. I hope they just fucking leave it alone. Leave it alone. Stop trying to remake everything. Don't touch it. This was, this was perfect. I I think sometimes if something was done really terribly and people want to remake it to make like, there was something in this and we could make it better. Then you're like, okay, fair enough. No one liked the original that much. Maybe you can make something cool out of it. This is already perfect. This is a fantastic movie. Great cast, great performances, great pacing, great effects, great music. There's the very score, few yeah, the score. You yeah, touch on yeah. that. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, there's there's very few things that you could point out in this that are bad. Um, so anybody out there, if you decided that you wanted it spoiled and you sat through this part, or if you've seen the movie <laughs> but you haven't seen "Never Give Up, Never Surrender," which is the documentary about the movie, um, Must watch the documentary. Watch. It's great. Rewatch the movie. Show the movie to your kids. It should have moved to anybody who hasn't seen it. It's so much fun. And I, I would love if people could maybe send us an email or send us a message in social media. Let us know Ooh. what you thought. Did, did you share our passion for this? Um, do you think we're talking absolute bollocks? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it the perfect movie? Yeah, yeah like because I think that it didn't... It, it didn't take the piss out of Star Trek. It was definitely a love letter. They didn't go, mm. haha, isn't like, because there are certain parts on shows like, say, The Orville. But Orville is also a great show, but they take the piss out of mm. Star Trek a little bit, as well yeah. as how much they do love it. There was nothing taking the piss. This was a love letter to nerds, to geeks, to Comic Con, to sci fi, and to Star Trek. And they pull it mm. off beautifully. Absolutely. Well said. So with that said, that'll be the end of our retro section and the end of our podcast. So Daz, have you anything you'd like to say before we finish up? No, just, yeah. Thanks to everyone for, um, for following us on social media and for giving us a like, if you haven't, uh, give the page a like and a follow and, uh, yeah, never give up, never surrender. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Look, thanks everybody for listening. Um, and thanks for sitting through this bumper episode. Uh, we had to do one to get the taste out of the, uh, the three bad movies in a row out of our mouth. So it was, uh, yeah. it was good to talk about this um, incredible subject with you, Daz. Uh, so Pleasure. from myself and from Daz, uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>